All right, um, last week we were in Exodus 22, the end past part of Exodus 22, and we kind of applied what David had taught, that the Old Testament law, although not binding on us as Christians, is um, there to instruct us and to um, give us a glimpse of God, to make our salvation seem, not seem, to make our salvation fuller, for us to understand it even better. And so we looked at these two passages, one of them that dealt with the firstborn and talked about the firstborn is dedicated to the Lord in Israel and used that kind of as a test case. And just a quick review of last week, the firstborn is not anything special in Genesis. You go through Genesis, the firstborn is almost always the one that's rejected. So why is God choosing the firstborn? Well, the only, the explanation out of Exodus is that the firstborn was the one that was redeemed or bought at the Passover. He was the one that God passed over. And so all firstborns in the land of Egypt were sentenced subject to death. If the Israelites had not put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil, they would have been taken. And God says, they belong to me. Everyone that God redeemed belonged to him. Now he switched it with the Levites, but I made a statement last week that we're all firstborn. You understand that's not a good thing. Firstborn means you are under the sentence of condemnation. It means that you were the one that needed the blood on the doorpost and the, the lentil. You're the one who then has been purchased back from God. And you're the one then whose life belongs to him. That he wants that life. And when we go to the New Testament, we of course see that. We see that Christ is our Passover. We see him crucified on Passover. Um, we are told to give our lives as a living sacrifice back to God, which is the point of the firstborn. So uh, this week we're in Exodus 23. And these are laws that deal with justice, with setting up a justice system um, that, or uh, doing things that promote justice in the society. And so we're gonna talk about that. I think as you go through these, that these would apply to us because the principles from which they come are are rooted in the nature and character of God himself. And that is his uh, desire for justice. God is, if nothing else, he is just. And we as Christians are to be just people. So um, starting in Exodus 23, starting in verse one, and we're gonna go down through verse nine. It says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many, so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. 
And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So a whole bunch of principles that deal with justice and making sure that justice is done. So before we jump into that, let, let's talk about God and and. Uh, justice. Because I think this gets to the very heart of who God is. When I was in college, I took a class called God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I, I was at Biola. This was a Christian school. Um, it was a theology course, and it was supposed to be, uh, well, it wasn't supposed to be. It was a course that dealt with the doctrines of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And the professor, when he walked in, he said, we're going to use as our outline the Westminster Shorter Catechism answer to the question, what is God? Now, I would probably say, who is God? But the question is, when we talk, when we say God, what are we saying? And the answer to the question, anybody know it? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. Um, that, that, um, God is a spirit, um, a personal spirit. It means that he's like we are. He has a spirit um, and is spirit. He's not uh, physical. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Those three words describe every other attribute that comes. So he is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. And he's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his wisdom. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his power, and infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his justice. Now, it was kind of interesting class because the professor said, I need you to memorize this. Everyone in my class has to have this memorized. So I memorized it, and I still know it. It's been a real great guide. It helps me as I think about God. And, and um, in some ways, well, um, anyways, so we went through the whole year, and he never tested us on it. Well, like, okay, I memorized it for nothing. And then um, we got to the final, and he said, the final's open notes. So we walk in on the final, and he says, everybody put everything away. And everybody's screaming, it's open note final. And he said, yes, but there was something I told you you had to have memorized, and we had to write it down. I got it, because I knew it. But um, <clears throat> what's interesting there is that one of those attributes is justice. He's infinite, eternal in being, his wisdom, his power, and the next one is justice. Why did the authors choose that one? By the way, if you listen to that definition, you don't hear, you don't hear love. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. In, it's in goodness that they lump love and mercy and grace and all those other things. <clears throat> but justice was integral to them to who God is. Well, think about the Bible. We start in Genesis. God makes a law. And by the way, in this society, the judge doesn't just, in our society, judge simply interprets the law, but in those societies, the judge made the law and ruled on the law. God makes laws and he judges those who fail to live up to them. So we have uh, God makes the law in the garden, Adam and Eve sin, and immediately there's the consequences pain in childbirth, uh, thorns in the ground, the snake is going to be crushed, and they are expelled from the garden. 
And then we have Cain, right? Kills Abel, and what is the ground? What happens? The blood is crying from the ground. God sees the injustice is what that means. And he understands that injustice has been taking place. And as you go through the rest of the Old Testament, that is the pattern of the Old Testament, is God acting as the judge. So what comes next? The flood, right? And the entire world is judged for their wickedness. And then the Tower of Babel, right? And then we have Abraham and we have Sodom and Gomorrah. And at Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham makes a really important statement. He says, will not the judge of all the earth judge rightly? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, of course. God will not do anything that is unjust. And then we see other judgments as well, but um, throughout the Old Testament, then you get to the Exodus and we see the judgment upon Egypt. And then we see the judgment on Israel when they don't go into the land. And we see judgment on Israel when they worship the golden calf. And we see judgment on Israel when they grumble. And God is disciplining and judging Israel. And then you get to um, the prophets. Anybody read through the prophets recently? Read through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And it's judgment upon judgment, and God is the righteous judge who judges the whole world. I went back and reread my um, Knowing God, where he has a chapter on the judgment of God, or God the judge is what it's called. And he said, people who don't know their Bible like to say that God is a judge in the Old Testament, but that judgment is absent from the New Testament. He said, but those of us who know our Bible know better. As you get to the New Testament, and Jesus talks an awful lot about those who reject the Father and reject the Son. He speaks an awful lot about the eternal consequences. In fact, in the New Testament, it's probably made clearer. The Old Testament, it was kind of fuzzy as to what happened after death. Jesus makes it completely, completely clear. We get to the epistles. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ becomes the judge, and then you get to Revelation. And if there's any more terrifying book in the Bible than Revelation, for somebody who is under God's judgment, I don't know what it is. You have the seals and the bowls and the trumpets, right? And, and the judgment just pours out upon the earth. The problem with God for us is how does God make us... See, the next one that comes after justice is holiness. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and changeableness, being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness. Holiness is also integral to who God is. I wanted to show you a couple of verses. Uh, go to um, Psalm 97. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Then we'll get to the passage. We will, we will get there. It's just, it's pretty clear what is being said um, in Exodus 23. <clears throat> Isaiah, I mean, not Isaiah, Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many coastlines be glad. Cloud and thick darkness are all around him, and righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. What's the foundation of God's throne? Righteousness and justice. 
God is going to do what's right. God is going to do what is just. God will remain holy and he will judge um, the people. He will judge the nations. Um, Micah 6 verse um, 8. A lot of you will know this. Um, <clears throat> this. There was a song that we used to sing a while back. But the first time I ever saw this verse was somebody had it crocheted or needle pointed or not crocheted, probably needle pointed. Um, and they had it in their bathroom. I used the guest bathroom and it was in there. I looked, I'd never seen that verse before. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Um, at the uh, President uh, Lincoln's second inaugural address in the midst of the Civil War, he quotes in there from Psalm 19, where he talks about the judgment that is falling upon the United States and may continue because of all of the evil that had been done and that in his, in his mind, the Civil War was punishment for the many, many years of slavery, for the blood and the lost toil and all the rest. And he says, we pray that this war will end quickly, but if God requires it to go until every evil is paid for, then we will say with the psalmist, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Okay? God is always true and righteous in his judgment. The problem for us is obvious. We aren't righteous. You deserve judgment. You know, we hear some terrible thing that happens. We heard it this couple of weeks ago where that man went and started shooting people in Fresno for the sheer, just, I want to kill some people today. And we hear that and we say, justice has to be done. And if he got in court and they let him go on some technicality, we'll all be upset. But God's position, of course, is that he is holy and every sin requires a penalty. And therefore, there's absolutely nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous before God. And the problem is God can't just hand wave over it any more than a judge can say, I don't feel like punishing this or causing this. That would be unjust to us. And so, of course, we know what the answer is, but God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, but in his infinite wisdom, found a way to make us just, justified before him and remain just. Jump, jump over to Romans chapter 3. One of the great, great passages in scripture um, that deal with how God in his wisdom solved the problem. Because there really was a problem. If God is the righteous judge and we are sinful before him, he cannot simply say it doesn't matter. He can't do that. Otherwise, he's no longer holy. So I know you know the passage, but it's worth reading through. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. And it's the next phrase that uh, just is magnificent. So that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God is just in justifying us because our sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. But that the reason Jesus dies is because God is just, because if he could just hand wave over our sins, if righteousness wasn't part of the foundation of his throne, he could just say, well, it doesn't matter, but it does matter. The sins have to be paid for. God is the perfect judge. And because he's the perfect judge, every sin has to be judged and is judged in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I tell you all of that because if, if that is central to God's character, then we should be just people as well. It matters to God if his people are just. So now go back to Exodus chapter 23. And let's look at what justice looks like. And I think that if you were to read any one of these and say, oh no, I could do that, something's not right. Okay, um, so we begin. You shall not spread a false report. Why is spreading a false report unjust? Damages another person's reputation. It gives people a false opinion of that person. It causes people to make a false judgment about that person, even if it isn't putting them uh, in legal jeopardy it still causes there to be a false judgment made by other people about that person, spreading a false report. Um, does the New Testament talk anything about false reports? Yeah, wouldn't we call that gossip? <laughs> uh, it's always amazing to me when you see gossip, it's always in this list, not always, but often in a list of terrible, horrible sins. Go over to Romans chapter one. Yeah, slander is, is, well, let's, we're going to talk about in a second. Yeah, um, gossip can be true. Um, slander is always, is always false. So yeah, technically we're talking gossip here. I mean, slander, but it says, um, starting in verse 29, the, the, the people, what happens when God abandons a society, really? They've turned away from God. It says they will, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Um, and what's right in the center of that? Gossip. And we think of it as no, not a big deal, but. I think for us, we take this even further. And of course, I think we're all intelligent enough to understand what the problem with gossip is. We rarely gossip about something good about a person, right? You don't go around and say, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? If you did, that's not gossip. We always like to talk about the thing that probably shouldn't be talked about or that we don't have a need for. And the problem is, unless you're unless you're talking about the whole character of the person, even if you're, what you're saying is true, you're still presenting a false impression, right? 
So I can be, what I can be saying is perfectly true, but I'm leaving out all the other stuff. Um, if, if I was to start talking to you about April, and I simply told you every fault. Well, she only has one, but let's, we, I started telling you all of her faults and I just kept telling you about them. You're gonna have a totally different impression of April than if I tell you just the good stuff, right? And, and so you, you cause somebody to have a false judgment when we spread gossip, yeah. And we also have a totally different impression of you. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's a uh, self-inflicted, uh, but justice here is more directed the other way. But you are right. Yeah, if you hear somebody always talking negative, it does cause you to have a different opinion of that person. Yeah. I've told you the story many times, but I just it's so clear to me when we were standing around, I was actually on a missions trip gossiping about somebody, and this wonderful man named Lloyd Peckham, one of the great saints of the faith, I'm sure he'll be seated at the right hand, of, no, not the right hand, one of the 12, he, he's an incredible guy. Uh, I'll tell you about him sometime, but he walks up, he was a year or two older, and after listening for a couple of minutes to the gossip, he said, yes, but, but Sally is one of the most caring people that I know. It was like somebody had just thrown a bucket of ice water on a fire. I felt so ashamed. And, and it, it actually prevented, I mean, all of a sudden I understood what was happening. What we were saying was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. And it was, it was slander. Now, that's not the only thing here in Exodus, but it's one that I think probably affects us more than the others. I don't think many of us are doing some of these other things. Any comments on gossip or slander before we go on? Because I really do think gossip falls into the category of slander. When you only tell the bad, you're, you're, you're not telling the whole truth and you're leaving people with a false judgment of that person's character. What was that? Defamation. Defamation, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we do it to build ourselves up, but the point is, is that it's still unjust toward that person, Rod. I think the, the best rule is if the other person doesn't need to know, then we probably shouldn't tell them, <laughs> right? In other words, if, if I have something juicy about somebody and you have no reason to know that, I mean, I may talk to April about something that's happening because she needs to know because we need to respond. But if I'm telling other people, we're, we're probably crossing that line, um, even if it's true. Does the other person need to know it? Darla. Um, I would have one question to ask myself when I'm about to tell somebody something to you. Would I say you to the person I'm talking about sitting right here? Yeah. Or the person who's gossiping and saying, hmm, can I tell him you said that? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's uh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, 
that's the first one. Let's let's go on here. I do did want to spend a little more time with that just because that's where the rubber meets the road for us probably. The other ones in here I think are pretty obvious. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Um, I don't know why you would do that, but if there's a wicked man and he needs a testimony to damage another person, stay away from that person. Um, the, the, if, if you know that somebody is, is not pursuing justice, this is a wicked man looking for a malicious testimony, we stay away from that person. Um, your testimony is important. Um, next, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil. This gets hard to do because we tend to follow the herd and there's a group dynamic. If everybody's doing wrong, it's hard to stand up and say no. Um, I, I often try and place myself back in time. If I had lived in Mississippi or Alabama or Georgia or the Deep South in the 50s, when black Americans were truly oppressed, they were treated like they were less than human. Would I have been any different than the people around me? Because there was a mob mentality. The many were doing evil. And so you had people who were sitting in church and studying their Bible and totally blind to the injustice that they were, that, that was, was happening around them. They were the many and people were just following along. And I try and think in our own society, what would be similar to that? Is there something that I'm blind to that's injustice that's happening? That is a, uh, something should be dealt with, but as a Christian, we just follow along. Um, I'm sure those of you who run businesses have decisions to make, how much do we pay our employees and so on to uh, make sure that the business remains profitable and yet at the same time to make sure that, that our employees are taken care of. Those are issues that have to be dealt with and, and those would be part of that as well. Well, everybody else is doing this, so maybe I don't have to, I can just go along with the crowd. And so I'm, I don't know, it's, it's hard when you're in there. I think if you had been back in Alabama in the 50s, you wouldn't have even necessarily seen the problem. But it's easy to go along with the, the flow and the whole society is moving one direction and not to evaluate, am I joining with the many in an unjust system? So I throw that out. Kirk's got a comment on that. Yeah. So if it's anti-capitalism, or it's anti-private property, or if it's about you know, housing and fundamental rights, they don't care about the fact that there's a group justice, and it's the social justice movement. Yeah. So they call it social justice, which means they will side with the poor, for example, which is, gets pissed, mm -hmm. um, because the poor, it's not about the individuals or the case or the fact, it's about that we need to stop a, kind of a class, the class warfare issue. And so... 
it becomes a perversion of justice. You lose individual justice in the name of a group justice. Yes. And it's, and it's a complete perversion of what you know, social justice is in the Bible. And that's, what, that's actually what we're seeing right now, like you're saying, in society if you're not not following it, but it's there's a social justice movement which is pushing down individual justice, but in the Bible, the justice is always toward the individual. It's always relationship between individuals. Yes. Yeah, and but again, that's an evil that is now they're doing in the name of what they think is a greater good. That's right. And, and that's really, yeah, and we're going to get to that, the, um, that partial to the uh, poor in a lawsuit is a really interesting little verse there because because uh, it's, it's easy to say we're going to do something that's unjust toward one person so that another person gets justice. God's justice doesn't work that way. It's either just or it's unjust. And, and I think that's the point of that, uh, that second part, that little verse there. Yep, I, I would agree. We see it in a lot of the movements where the fundamental principle is wrong and yet people keep jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, let's, let's keep going, we don't have much time. Um, you shall not bear witness in the lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Basically the same idea, don't go along with, um, the fact that a lot of people believe it doesn't mean that it's just. Justice is, is just regardless of what the crowd says. And then this next one, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. And, and I think this is an important thing to throw in there because we do have a tendency to say, well, if it's a poor person, uh, we, we, we tip the scales of justice toward that person. We have a lawsuit. This person really didn't do anything wrong, but they have a lot of money. <laughs> And so we'll make sure the poor person gets some of the money. Well, the question isn't whether the poor person is poor, it's whether what he's being awarded is just or not. And if it's not, then you have done this. Um, and sometimes our thinking goes that way, we need to be compassionate toward the poor, but I think the point of this is, is exactly what Kirk said. The justice is, is between individuals and it's irrelevant. Um, other circumstances. It's right or it's just or it's unjust. And we kind of get into this mindset, well, whatever the courts say is justice or unjust, but, but God's standard of justice is different and everybody is treated the same. That's why, what's our picture of justice? Blindfolded lady holding the scales, right? But what we like to do is pull that down and take a little peek that who's being judged and a, a judge is, is a human being. And when that happens, then injustice takes place. Now that's on a societal level. Um, 
we're dealing here with it affecting us individually. And those of you who are parents, you've got children, you're the judge. <laughs> and it's sometimes hard to be, to see that, you know? Sometimes one child is, you know, the one that you wouldn't mind spanking right now. No, I'm just kidding. That would never happen in anybody's home. But, but, but um, and sometimes we don't gather all the facts and it's difficult. I was sitting in church the other day <clears throat> and there was a family in front of me and um, one little boy and his slightly older brother or sister, I can't remember now, is poking him. I'm two rows back, pokes him. And he finally turns around and snaps at her. Well, then mom gets mad at him because mom doesn't see what's happening, right? And then, then it happens again and he gets in more trouble. And then this, and I'm just sitting there, it's like, this one is evil. <laughs> he just keeps poking and finally mom grabs him and sits him on her lap and holds him tight and is, is reading him the riot act. And I'm thinking, okay, justice wasn't done here, but it's hard as parents. But there are times where one child is, because of the way they've acted in the past, that we tend to not worry about justice. So that's just a, 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 an example right close to home. But we don't go out and judge things a lot, but we ought to be careful because justice is, is kind of an absolute. It's right or wrong, and, and we don't side with either side in justice. Somebody was gonna say a couple of people. Yeah. And so you, you gotta have that 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 self uh, regard not to not to retaliate. Yeah. And by the way, I do understand when you're sitting in church and one kid's acting up, you don't have time to talk with them. The question is, did they do it afterwards? Why did you act that way? But we forget about it and then go on and then the kid has this sense that I was treated unjustly, and in that fact case he actually was. So by the way, I've raised a lot of children. I understand how hard that is. I would have done the exact same thing, um, but hopefully we we care about that. I just want to say that I think the whole idea of justice is we're supposed to replicate what God would do, except we can't do it because we don't have the knowledge of God. We don't have the whole truth. We never have context. God is all context. That's why he's a perfect judge, right? So That's why wisdom comes right before that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The relationship where God doesn't judge us based on the external like we do. So we don't show preference to the rich in keeping the church. But you also shouldn't show preference to the poor in the courtroom. Yeah. Right? So and that's because God cares about each individual. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna replicate that. We also want to you know, what would y'all want the golden rule apply to us? That's right. And that's what comes next. And I know we're almost out of time, but there is a positive aspect to justice in the way that you respond to the people around you. And this is where it really does kind of hit home. A lot of these other kind of theoretical ideas is only gonna happen every once in a while. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Who's an ox? Your enemies, person you don't like. Uh, their ox is going astray. 
you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who ha hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So I see my neighbor's ox taking off. My job is to stop, grab that ox, even though it costs me a little bit of time, and return it. I see my do the donkey laying down. I assume he got loaded too heavy. He stumbled. He can't get up. He's in trouble. I stop and I unload that donkey and load him back up and take him back to my neighbor or help my neighbor unload him. Um, the, the basic principle then is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Treat your neighbor the way you would want to be treated, which is why can, could I, would I say this if that other person was present? Is this the way the judgment would go if it was applying to me? But this now is a practical application of it, it's actually incumbent upon us to act. When we see our neighbor being hurt and we can help them, we need to help. And that's part of this section on justice. And I think it's just as important as, as the rest of it. In fact, more in the New Testament, we have a great story about this, right? called the Good Samaritan. And God, then, then the man comes and says, the law is love your neighbor as yourself, or Jesus answers that question. And the man says, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We all understand the Good Samaritan is the, evil, is the enemy, right? Samaritans and Jews don't like each other. And what does the Good Samaritan do? Stops, takes care of that man, restores him to health, and Jesus says, that's the neighbor. So I think, Kirk, what you said at the beginning, it's all about the relationship between keeping right relationships between people. Um, it may be that people act unjustly toward us, but we don't act unjustly backward. We have an enemy who would, would not turn or take our ox back, but we still take his ox back. We see an enemy who would have left our donkey laying there, we, we take his and help his donkey. Darla. I think it's interesting because you guys love your neighbor yourself. It's also rewarding you to help your neighbor out. Yeah. Because you're helping them out. Yeah. 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 It, it is, and it shows us to be people who care about what is what is right and and what is just. And, and that's really where we get back to. The, the heart of this is love your neighbor as yourself and and care about what's happening to that that person. And everybody we meet is our is our neighbor. <coughs> so um, uh, Pretty important passage in terms of who we should be. We didn't get all the way through it. Talks about don't pervert justice, don't bring a false charge, don't take bribes because that blinds the eyes, and treat the sojourner, the person who's among us, who is visiting among us, the way that you would want to be treated. So, um, <clears throat> I had a. I think we're close to being out of time. Um, I remember. I'll, I'll just tell a quick ending with a quick story. There was a 
when I was attending the um, Mennonite Brethren Church, they had a, a newspaper or a, a magazine. What's the name of that magazine? The Christian Leader, that's right, The Christian Leader. Um, <clears throat> and there was a great article in there once about a man writing about his father who was a Mennonite pacifist, okay? And he's a farmer and he's a pacifist and he has this foul-mouthed neighbor that lives next to him who is, uh, hates Christianity and is antagonistic. And one day their chickens got out and went over into his yard. And that night he brought them all back dead. He had slaughtered all of them, brought them back and dropped them off on their doorstep. <clears throat> and these are people who are not well-to-do. Losing all those chickens is a big deal. And anyways, um, um, that night the farmer says to his wife in front and the children overhear it, I'm going to kill that man. But he didn't mean... Physically, he meant metaphorically, he was going to kill the evil if he could. And so what happened was a few months or weeks or a year later, the, uh, the neighbor's hogs, a whole bunch of hogs got out, came over onto his property. And this little boy who had heard this didn't know what his dad meant. And he was like, oh, dad, this is great. We've got his hogs. Let's kill all of his hogs. And... He said that night his dad went over to the man, other man's house and said, your hogs got out and they were on my property. And the boy was with him and he said he, the man just put his head down because he knew what was coming, right? All the hogs are going to be slaughtered and laying there in, his, you know, in the back of the truck. And the farmer says, come on, let's go get them. Goes to the back of his truck, opens it up and he had, had all the hogs. He had rounded them up, took them over and, and put them into his pen. And he said after that, that man's attitude changed and eventually he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, if he said, finally, when the man put his faith in Jesus Christ, I understood what it meant when he said, I'm going to kill that man. Um, and and it, it's just an interesting story, especially with this. He did what was right in the face of injustice. Uh, he didn't retaliate. He treated that man the way he would want to be treated. He loved his neighbor as himself. And he did what was just, and God uses that. He uses that when people see us acting justly. Uh, Adrian. In relation to what you said earlier, my uh, Gwen's grandmother, they grew up in the South, Louisiana, and she was pretty much a racist. She questioned whether black people had a soul. And that's what Gwen's mom was raised under. But it's interesting how you conquer that when she came to California basically. They attended for most of her life predominantly black church. So Yeah, and it's, it's easy to, to put ourselves back and say, well, I would have been different and the way that you're raised and ideas that you're, that's why I said it's always a question to me whether or not I would have been any different there. But in a sense, I should be, because we should be concerned with what is right for the individual person. So any, any other comments before we end? Tom.
Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I, I like that, Tom. That we we have been shown so much mercy, but from God and so much goodness, but we don't really have a way of repaying that except by the way that we act toward the other people around us. Yeah, very good. Powerful thought to end with. All right, let's go ahead and pray.